I'd like to start this afternoon by uh, inviting a special guest to uh, come forward, someone who's going to help me out. Uh, would you like me to introduce my helper? There we go. Hi, everyone. Meet Ernie. This, of course, is Ernie from Sesame Street. Picture on the screen so you can see him in all his great detail. Uh, this one happens to be a very, very special Ernie. Okay, uh, This Ernie, see, he is not a reproduction at all. Um, he wasn't uh, just bought at the shops the other day. He is an original. Um, I've had Ernie for a very long time. He's over 40 years old. Okay, He was a big part of my uh, very early childhood. I took him everywhere with me. And so needless to say, a few years back when I sorted through my belongings in Canada, uh, Ernie made his way here along with my special things. Uh, so a toy like this really is a treasure, isn't it? I mean, he's vintage, he's retro, but more than that, um, he has a great history with me. He cannot be replaced. Uh, Ernie is really a treasure. But I want you to look closely, okay? Look closely at the picture, you'll see. Uh, there's some things I want you to notice about him. As I said, he's in his early 40s. He's not exactly a young Ernie anymore. Uh, if you look closely, he has been restitched in many places, and in some places many times. Um, and now he needs even more cosmetic surgery, because sadly, his uh, armpits are losing their stuffing. And uh, the detail on his face has faded, he's lost his youthful glow. And uh, when you talk to him, make sure you talk on his right side, because he's only got one ear. And, uh, and like his owner, his hair is starting to go. Okay. <laughs> actually stuffing on the floor. He really is in bad shape. Um, see Ernie. Okay. Ernie is a treasure, but Ernie is a treasure that's wearing out, isn't he? Uh, sadly, Ernie, you know, he won't last forever. Uh, he might have a few more years in him if we can be very creative with the next uh, stage of restoration process for him, if we keep mending, but a time will come when Ernie will be no more. We know it's the same with all of our earthly treasures, don't we? They just don't last forever. But yet we can also know the temptation to live for the things of this world as if they will. That's the sort of thing that Jesus is getting into as we move into this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's saying we have a choice. We can live for Jesus, we can live for God's kingdom, or we can live for the earthly stuff, for the earthly kingdom. And so as Christians, it's very, very important for us to know which kingdom we're aligned with. And to help us think through that today, I want us to ask three questions. Three questions to help us know where we stand. Which kingdom are we living for? So the first question we want to ask is this. What treasures are you seeking? What treasures are you seeking? What kind of things are you storing up? And so if you still have your Bible open, let's have a listen to what Jesus says in verses 19 and 20, but I will have all of the verses on screen here today as well. And he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, on one level, this is clear, isn't it? Uh, don't keep piling up earthly things that just won't last. 
Uh, you might protect a special item of clothing with mothballs, but we know that every piece of fabric eventually wears out, doesn't it? Whether it fades in the sunlight or, you know, through age. Uh, you might love your vintage car, but eventually rust is going to get the better of it. It's going to look something like that one on the screen. Uh, in fact, the word that's translated rust here means to be eaten away. Every earthly treasure wears out. And even if that treasure happens to be something that can better stand the test of time, there's still a chance we could lose it if it's taken from us, if it's stolen or something like that. And then on top of that, even if none of these things happen, earthly treasures will still be taken from all of us in another way, and that's when we die. So when I was a minister in, a, in country New South Wales, uh, one thing we did there a bit more than we happened to do in the city is a graveside committals at the funeral service. I did many of those. And uh, I often went to the cemetery ahead of everyone else. So I could go, make sure everything was ready, um, speak with the people there. And so often I would stand at the empty grave and I'd just watch as the procession was making its way up the street, in through the gates, the hearse and all of the other cars. But I tell you, every time I've seen that, not once was there a removalist van in the procession. Not a single time. Because as Job 121 says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. We don't take anything with us when we go. There is not a single earthly treasure that lasts forever. Valuables and riches, they rot and they rust. Uh, bank accounts are always at the mercy of the global financial market. Uh, the worldly idea of beauty fades as our bodies wear out. Houses are made of timber and things that decay. Why would we invest everything in the things that just cannot last? Now, of course, though, we have to think about what Jesus doesn't mean here. He's not saying that we should never save money or prepare for what's ahead. Uh, the Bible says that it's wise to consider the future with what we have now. Uh, it says that the Christian should provide for his family and be a good steward. Uh, Jesus also isn't saying here that we can never have possessions or even enjoy earthly things. Uh, listen as I read 1 Timothy 6:17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The problem isn't things, but a love of things that gets in the way of a love for God. Uh, the issue isn't saving, but selfish worldly accumulation, you know, the attitude of mine and more. Uh, there's nothing wrong with enjoying with thankfulness uh, the things that God has given you. But there is a problem if you forget the needs of others and the one who has given you everything that you have. So Jesus says that instead, well, we need to store up treasures in heaven. And that means that we do things now that have eternal consequences. We invest in what will last forever. So on a practical level, now this means that we walk by faith. We live with Jesus and gospel-shaped lives. And so we could ask, for example, how are we going with our resources? So if from the heart you're giving to your church, or to Christian causes, supporting missionaries, uh, be encouraged. When you do those things, you are storing up treasures in heaven. It's a great thing. What about your time? 
And so if you're a week involved, gladly coming to church on Sunday to be with your church family and hear from God's word. You know, or, or maybe this ministry is part of your week or that kind of thing. That's kingdom living, the storing of treasures in heaven. But of course, if we see our time as just ours, you know, where we grudgingly give God that hour on Sunday, maybe we need to ask for a better kingdom focus if that's what's happening. Or there are other things in our lives that can show if we're storing up heavenly treasures. How about our commitment to our growth group? How much do we help out when we see there are needs? We can ask about our evangelism. Are we telling people about Jesus and the hope that's in him, the eternal hope? Or if we find the actual conversation of the words difficult, are we living with our lives on show so people know that we're his? You remember Kamal's sermon from about a month ago about being salt and light in the world. Or we can ask if we're seeking growth as Christians. Are we actually striving? I want to be more like Jesus. Or are we just sort of vaguely hoping he might rub off on us a bit? See, these are all ways we can ask if we are storing up treasures in heaven. But then, of course, what about Jesus himself? If one day we're going to see him face to face as our ultimate treasure, and that's what the new creation will be, it will be a place where everything revolves around him, then are we storing up heavenly treasures by seeking him now? Are we treating him as our ultimate treasure? Are we getting to know him in his word, uh, through prayer, spending time with him, you know, growing our delight in him? And here's a very challenging question. This is one that really gets to the point. If we don't want to give Jesus any focus now, then why would we want to do that for eternity? To store up treasures in heaven means to truly live now is if Jesus and his kingdom are what matter most. Because that will lead to a life of eternal consequences, both for us and for those around us. So one of the best things we can do then is to check ourselves. And we check ourselves with verse 21. This is one of those write it down, stick it on your fridge type of verses. It's a very, very important verse in scripture. And Jesus goes on to say, for where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. See, it's actually quite simple to know what our real treasure is. We just look at our heart because it will never lie. It will always tell us. You know, so what do we think about the most? You know, what are our real goals, what we're living for? How do we spend our time and money? Uh, What do you like to talk about and read? What gets you up in the morning? Or what, if it was taken from you right now, would just bring your life just crashing down? And basically, how does Jesus fit into all of those things? Your heart will tell you what treasure you seek and therefore what kingdom you're really living for. But there's another question in our passage, and it's this one. What are you truly focused on? What are you truly focused on? Look with me as we continue in verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's how I understand this. The eye being a lamp, sorry, the eye being a lamp, it doesn't mean that it's shining light outwards. Okay, it is actually shining light inwards, so that it, meaning that it lights up the body. 
Okay, and so it, it illuminates with what it takes in um, as we see and as we take those things on board. Uh, so we need to think about here in this verse as the eyes having an internal effect. And so if the eyes are healthy, then the body's going to be full of light. And the word behind, the original word behind healthy here, has a couple of meanings, but I think the best way to understand it is in the sense of having a single purpose, of having an undivided loyalty. So the eye lights up the body. If your eyes are healthy, if they're good, meaning if they're deliberately fixed on God, well, then you'd be filled with his light. But if your eyes aren't really focused on him, well, then you'll be full of darkness. We know which kingdom we're in through what we're focused on. Jesus is saying here that God demands loyalty. He wants our gaze only on him. Just as a married man should uh, be focused only on his wife, and not lustfully lustfully looking at every beautiful woman who walks by, uh, God wants us to have a heavenly focus. He wants us to know him and pursue him. Uh, To say this another way, he wants us to look at his kingdom and all through our life just keep focusing and heading in that direction. That's what he wants, not to wander off the path. Sort of like a story Jesus tells in Luke's gospel, where people said that they wanted to follow him, but they kept making excuses. And so Jesus said, follow me, and they said things like, but first let me go and bury my father, or let me go back and say goodbye. And at the end, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The problem that he was highlighting in those verses is divided loyalty. Where are you looking? If you are constantly and loyally looking towards God, he will fill you with his light. That's his promise. You will know him. You will get to know him more. You will enjoy him. You will know his truths. You'll have then a spirit-filled life where you'll grow in holiness and and God-pleasing behavior. And then the result, as Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, is then we'll be the light of the world. But how can we be lights for Christ if we're first not lit up by him? And how can we be lit by Christ if we're too busy looking at the earthly kingdom? That's the point he's making here. To focus wrongly is to be doomed to darkness. A number of years ago, uh, myself and Allison and Anouk, only, only had Anouk at that point actually, uh, we visited Nolan Caves. And uh, during the tour, there's... Uh, a point where just it's only really a few seconds, but they turn out all the lights so that you can grasp how dark it is when you're truly underground. And uh, needless to say, it's absolutely pitch black when you're down there like that. Uh, no sunlight at all. It's a kind of darkness that you can almost feel. You can have your hand right here in front of your face, moving it, and you see absolutely nothing. So, of course, they have all these little lights along the path as you're going through your tour. But you know what you can't help but think when you're down there? What if the lights actually go out? You know, uh, the reality is you could die. You know, if you didn't know your way out, you didn't have anyone to guide you, you had no light to show you the way, you would have no hope, you'd have no escape, and you could die because you lived without the light. Which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you focused on? Where is your gaze? That's what Jesus is asking here. And this leads us to one final question for this morning. 
Which master do you serve? Which master do you serve? So let's read the last verse. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So whether you realize it or not, you have a master. Okay? There is someone or something that you serve and you worship. That's just how we're all wired as human beings, myself included. And if you say, oh, that's not true. I don't serve anyone. I don't serve anything. I need to serve myself. Well, you've just named your master, basically. Here Jesus explains that nobody can practically have many masters. If you try to have two, you will end up with that divided loyalty. You will choose one over the other. And the choice here that Jesus ends with is, you can't serve both God and money. Now you might be wondering, why is money singled out here? I mean, why is Jesus so down on money? What's so bad about it? Well, the word behind money is mammon. And for those of you who've read the older translations, you would have heard it said that way. Uh, It really means riches or wealth or the things that we trust in. In our culture, money is tied up with just about every other master we can have besides God. Because think about all the things that money can give or promises. Money gives comforts. It gives the ability to buy pleasures. It gives status. It can give worldly power. It gives a certain amount of freedom and the illusion of security. To say it bluntly, a lot of money allows a person to temporarily be their own god. And it can, in the end, become a god itself. That's why Jesus lays the choice out like this, god or money. But again, as we hear Jesus in these words, we want to keep the balance from across Scripture. The Bible also says that money in itself, in and of itself, is not evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, as it says in another verse. And here the problem is serving that money as a God. Money can be very good, but serving money as God is always bad. Listen as I read Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. To serve money, to live for money, is to displace God and rob him of the glory that's his alone. Because see, he is to be the one who fills all of those things that money promises. He is to be our comfort and our hope and our happiness and our security and our richest treasure. God demands exclusive loyalty. To try to serve him and wealth is to actually not serve God. Because for him, it's all or nothing, whatever, whatever idol it might be. Okay? In God's opinion, to try to put him in second place really is to say, you know what, God, when it comes down to it, I don't really want you. So does this mean then that we should forsake money? Should live a life of poverty? Well, yes, if that's what it takes for you to follow God wholeheartedly. Maybe for some of us. But I think for most of us, the answer actually is simpler. We need to take, we need to take the money that we have. We need to thank God for it and be sure that we're using it for his glory and for his kingdom. Look, God will grant some of us very little money. For some of us, he will bless us with wealth. 
But we'll know which kingdom we're in or the kingdom that we're living for by how we use whatever money we have. So let me tell you two very brief stories. Uh, Back when I was studying at Sydney Missionary and Bible College, uh, it was a time when they started expanding their grounds. Uh, They were stretching out their property, and that required, as you would expect, a lot of money. Uh, But as they needed properties in the surrounding area to house lecturers and students and for new development, uh, rich Christian businessmen came forward and bought houses for them, you know, even with Sydney's very expensive housing market. Uh, They took the blessing of great wealth, of having a lot of money, they used it for God's glory. Uh, I also heard another story a few years back. Uh, This is a story of two business partners in Canada. Uh, They worked out how much money they needed to live on, and they decided to use their company profits beyond that for God's kingdom. The company grew, and it grew. They had more and more to give to God's work, yet they constantly had enough to live on. Now, these are both stories of money used very well. Okay? Now, most of us won't be in the position to recreate these stories exactly, but it's a sort of principle that we need to apply to our lives and apply here to our church. We must use money properly, not as something to, to depend on, not as something for us to worship and something for us to live for. We should treat it as something that really belongs to God, something that he has entrusted us with. And so we want to look for ways to use our resources for his glory. The way we do that will show us which kingdom we're living for. And so again, to think practically about this, keeping with the example of money that Jesus gives here, uh, we see this in how we decide how much money to give at church, how much we put in the collection plate, how much to set up in electronic banking or other situations where we give. Do we figure these things out last after every want is first covered? You know, or is that a priority? Um, does our giving change and increase as our income increases, or is the extra always all, all mine? Or how about this hypothetical situation? You're offered two jobs. One will let you make more money, but there'll be pretty limited opportunities for God's kingdom. The other job pays far less, but you'll have many opportunities to be a witness for Christ, and you'll be in a position where you can grow in him yourself. Now, look, I know as I say that there are a whole bunch of layers to a hypothetical question like that, okay? But the big question is, how would you make that decision? What would be your deciding factor? Would it be the kingdom or would it be the dollar? Who is your master? Friends, once again, Jesus is very, very challenging in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He's moving here to asking us, which kingdom are you really living for? If you want to be a kingdom person, how are you living? And it's a question we must all ask. Today we've asked three questions to help us think our way through it. What is your treasure? What are you focused on? And what or who is your master? Pray with me, please. And as we pray, we're going to wrap up the service as well. Our great Father, we thank you for these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount even with them being as challenging as they are. Uh, Lord, we want to be kingdom people. Uh, We don't want to be people of divided loyalty. Uh, We want to grow in Jesus and live for him in this world. So, Father, give us the courage, please, to ask these questions humbly and honestly and carefully. 
Show us what we really treasure, where our heart is longing, what we're living for. Show us where we're focused, where our strongest gaze is lying. And show us who we worship. Show us who our master truly is. Father, for any of us who find answers that aren't Jesus, we ask that you will grow our love for him and grow us as kingdom people and help us to focus on him. Lord, help us to encourage one another in this as we walk together for him. Help us in our growth groups as we come together and and think about some of these very questions. And Lord, help us to uh, be people who truly know you, who love you from the heart, with our gaze focused on you and eternal things, and truly living as if you are our master. With this in mind, we commit each other into your hands as we go out into our week. In Jesus' great name, amen.